Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Chris Dirksen, the Executive Pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit MySouthland.com. We're in Romans part 16, uh, which some of you laugh at, and I just think, that's impressive. 16 parts and we're most of the way through, and uh, we're in the second half of chapter 12 this week. So last week, we did the first half of chapter 12. Uh, We talked about your life as a living sacrifice. And remember, we talked about the whole thing. The first 11 chapters of Romans, it's all about this precious, amazing gift of justification that that God has given to us by the blood of Jesus Christ, that he died for us. We receive it by faith. We can't work for it. And in the incredible mercy of God, he washes away our sins. And because of Jesus. Now, in the last, and that's the first 11 chapters, essentially the first 11 chapters of Romans spelling that out. Okay? Now in the last five chapters of Romans, we get into now how should we live in response. And last week we started in in chapter 12 there, and we looked at give your lives as a living sacrifice. That the only appropriate response, there is no such thing as a Christian life, a person who just comes to receive ministry, ministry, but doesn't also at some point give ministry to others. That's the Christian life. Living sacrifice, I serve and I minister to others. That was the first half of chapter 12, and now we get to the last half of chapter 12, and I'm just going to read it for you, verses 9 through 21, and then we will pray, and then we'll get into this. By the way, I just want to tell you in advance, in these 13 uh, verses, uh, or is it, yeah, 13, I just did the math through my head. Uh, in these 13 verses, there are 25 commands, okay? This is like, so the first 11 chapters drawing out this incredible theological truth about justification, and now Paul explodes out of his gratitude, out of his thankfulness for what Jesus has done. And now we get almost like machine gun fire in the second half of chapter 12. Pop, 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 pop. This is what the Christian life looks like. So every sentence, every punctuation mark is a new action. This is what the Christian life looks like. And it's not, this is how you have to live because it's a guilt trip. All coming out of Romans 1 through 11, this is how we want to live. In light of God's mercy, the only way to respond, if you've really entered into that mercy and received his love for yourself, this is how you want to live. This is what the Christian life looks like. And so we go, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. And we're going to spend a a, a big chunk of today just on that verse. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. That's what the Christian life looks like. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. I, I almost think, it, it, it almost feels wrong almost to preach even this. I could just read this over and over again and we would all be convicted, right? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. That's again. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, I love that line, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, 
but overcome evil with good. Let's pray, and then we'll start to get into this. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the worship time we had this morning. We thank you for the baptisms we're going to see today and the tremendous testimonies that are, that are there in these people, Lord. Just awesome. Thank you for the book of Romans. Thank you for these commands, which outline for us what the Christian life looks like. But now by your Spirit, Lord, we want to actually live this out. We want to be transformed. Renew our minds. Speak to us and touch us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 9, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. So Paul's going to get really in depth here on what genuine love looks like. But he starts off with this statement, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. And this is a very important first statement. These three things, these three things are like a triple braided cord. They go together. You can't separate them. Let love be genuine, abhor evil, hold fast to what is good. You can't have genuine love without abhorring what is evil and holding fast to what is good. The Greek word there for genuine is the word uh, anupokritos, which is just the opposite of hypocrisy, okay? So let love not be hypocritical. Let love be genuine. In other words, there are, there are different kinds of love. There is such a thing as genuine love. And there is such a thing as hypocritical love, that is, love that pretends to be love. It looks like love, it sounds like love, but it isn't actually genuine love. And I can't think of a more relevant statement or passage for our culture today, to almost 2,000 years old, and I can't think of a more relevant statement today than this statement right here. Let love be genuine, abhor evil, hold fast to what is good. Because our culture talks a lot about love, talks a lot about tolerance, talks a lot about acceptance. And in our culture's definition of love, love means let everybody be. Love means judge nothing except everything. That's how our culture tells us that if you love people, if you, if you, if you love others, then what that means is you just want them to do whatever feels natural to them, whatever comes easily to them, whatever makes them feel most like their true selves. Love means I judge nothing and I accept everything. Except that Paul says, let love be genuine, so don't let it be love that pretends love. And then he adds this, he says, love that is genuine is love that abhors evil and holds fast to what is good. True love, genuine love, is a love that cannot be separated from truth and from abhorring what is evil. If we look at this word abhor, the word abhor there, Paul does not say, let love be genuine, don't like evil. Let love be genuine, ignore what is evil. He doesn't say that. He says, let love be genuine, abhor evil. The word there for abhor is, and i got to read it because I can't remember it off the top of my head, I don't even have it written in here. So it's a Greek word. Oh, there it is. Apostigeo. You don't have to remember that. But you can remember that it means hate. It means to detest utterly. It means to be in horror of. So you've got, there's a kind of love that's called love, that looks like love, that our culture is promoting today, which is judge nothing except everything. Paul would say that's hypocritical love. Genuine love abhors evil. It's, it's not that it doesn't like evil. It's not that it ignores evil. Genuine love, real love, 
God's love that comes from the Father comes into our hearts. When we genuinely love people, you will utterly detest and you will hate evil. Now, why must we hate evil? Two reasons. Um, actually, there's probably more, but for sure, two important reasons. Number one, because it dishonors God. And number two, because evil hurts people. Number one, why must we hate evil? Because evil dishonors God in light of what Jesus has done for us and given up his life for us. That was not a cheap thing God did for us in giving up his son, was it? When we look at the cost of what God did for us to set us free from sin, when we look at how precious the blood of our Savior Jesus is, and then we think of the fact that he died because of sin and that sin dishonors his name, how could we ever want to ignore or pass over sin? This is something that should cause us deep hate, is sin. 1 John 5 verse 3 says this, For this is the love of God. You want to know what the love of God is? You know, there are certain Christians today, or so-called Christians, and they're promoting this idea that, you know, love and truth, love is more, the most important thing. And it's this idea that the commands of God and sin and these things don't matter, that love just matters. We just have to love and accept people. That's Jesus' command. I want you to see what the Word of God says. The Word of God says you can't separate the love of God and the commands of God. You can't separate them because this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. This is the love of God. There is no such thing as, as love is more important than obeying the commands. You can't separate them. This is the love of God. We love him. We're thankful for his precious sacrifice for us. He died. He died because he hates sin. And he wants to rescue us from sin. And he wants us to live with him forever. And so if we love God, we will keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. burdensome. So one reason we must hate evil, not just dislike it, not ignore it, but one reason we must hate evil is because it dishonors God. And the second reason is because evil hurts people. Okay, God gave us his commandments. They, I mean, God didn't just come up with these random commands. His commandments are real things rooted in his character that he doesn't like, that are not good for us. Every one of his commands, if God is a loving God and he is good, which we believe, then every one of his commands comes from a heart of love, which means every one of his commands. He is a wonderful, good God who only loves us. Then every one of his commands is for our good. Which is why 1 John 5, 2, just the verse before the one we just read, says this, by this we know we love the children of God. So not only do we know we love God, but even the love of other people is defined by God's commandments. Look at this. By this we know that we love the children of God. This is how we know that we love people. When we love God and what? Obey his commands. You can't separate, friends, brothers, sisters. You cannot separate the love of God from his commandments, from obedience, from truth. It's a false dichotomy that people are trying to draw today that wants to draw a line between love and truth as if those two things can be separated. They can't be separated. This is the love of God that we obey his commandments and this is the love of people when we love God and when we obey his commandments. And again, the reason is because evil hurts people. Romans 6.23. We're kind of all liking that book, I hope. Not tired of it yet. Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is what? The wages of sin is what? Some of you can read. 
For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin are always death. The wages of sin. I just, I just want you to let that sink in for a moment. The wages of sin are always death. It's always destruction. The wages of sin. Sin always hurts people. Because we love people, we must hate sin because sin hurts people. And of course, the objection is, but it feels good when I do this. Yes, sometimes poison tastes good. But it feels good when I do this. Yes, poison sometimes tastes good. Another objection might be, but I was born this way. I've always wanted to do this. Yes, and because of our broken, sinful natures, all of us, every single one of us, are born with a desire for a poison that kills us. Every one of us, we're born with different flavors of poison that we're attracted to, but we're all born with an attraction to a poison, and the wages of that poison is death. So yes, you might, be, you might have a desire, and you've always had this desire, and you think, well, that's just, it's just who I am. No, no, you are actually attracted to a poison. And if you have ever had a family member who's addicted to a drug or something like that, and if you love that person, do you encourage them? Hey, be true to yourself. Keep taking the drug. We don't do that. If you have a family member who's addicted to a drug, it might be the easiest thing in the world for them to take that drug. It might feel like the, most, like the best thing in the world. It might feel like the most natural thing in the world. But we all know that that addiction is killing them. If we love them, we don't encourage them in the addiction. We pray for them. We do whatever it takes if we can be of help or service to help them out of the addiction because the wages of sin is death. And I wonder how many in the church today still believe this verse or not. Either the wages of sin is death, and this is the word of God, or they're not. In which case, the word of God isn't always true. But if the wages of sin is death, then as Christians... We cannot be people. If we say we love people and the word of God is always true, then that means we can't stand by and promote poison to people. We must abhor evil. If you genuinely love people, you must abhor evil. Now, of course, one of the lies Satan is planting in our culture today and even in the church is the lie of, has God really said? Has God really said? Has God really said that living together before marriage is wrong? Has God really said that greed and materialism is wrong? Has God really said that adultery is wrong? He comes in and he says, has God really said? And you know what? It's a tactic he's been using from thousands of, for thousands of years. Actually, it's a tactic he's been using right from the beginning. It was his first tactic. Isn't that true? Because in the Garden of Eden, God came to Adam and Eve, and he said, you can eat from all the trees, like all of them. Talk about, not a, not, like, we're not talking about a bunch of do's and don'ts he gave them. He gave them, you can eat all of them, just except one. And again, God in his love knows what's best for us. You just can't eat from this one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat from this one tree, you will die. The beginning seeds of Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. You eat from this tree, you will die. So Adam and Eve go, okay, we're not going to eat from that one tree. Satan comes along, and what does he say to Eve? Has 
God really said. I mean, look at the fruit. Is that really going to kill you? It doesn't look so bad. I mean, if there was other people on the earth, I'm sure they'd be eating and be happy. Right? Has God really said, has God really said this fruit will cause death? And by asking, has God really said, he plants that seed of doubt and confusion which opens the door for her to go through and disobey and take the fruit. And what happened after she ate the fruit? Her and Adam, out of the garden, a whole lot long life of death and destruction. One of their sons would end up murdering another one of their sons. And these two people who were made to live forever and never taste of death would sometime later get old and die. And where was Satan after this? Did he come and help comfort them while they were suffering the effects of what God said would happen to them? He was long gone. He'll suffer his own effects. But he left them all alone to experience exactly what God told them would happen. If you eat from this tree, you will die. And they did die. But Satan comes along and he says, has God really said? And the same is true today. God comes today in our culture. Or not God. Satan comes in our culture today. That would really mess you up. Satan comes today. Has God really said that the wages of this sin is death? Whatever the sin may be. And you look around at the people around you and, they, and you say, well, how can the wage, it, the wages of sin really death? And there's, there's, there's doubt in your mind because you know people who are nice and pleasant and happy and they're engaging in all kinds of different flavors of sinful lifestyles. And you look at them and, and they're just nice. In some cases, they're nicer than some of the Christians you know, unfortunately. And they can be very pleasant. And they can be fun to hang out with. And they seem happy. And so you look, and the devil comes, and he plants a little seed of doubt, and he says, has God really said, look at these people. They seem happy enough. Has God really said the wages of sin is death? But if we go back to Adam and Eve, did Adam and Eve die the very day that they ate of the fruit? Not outwardly. It started on the inside. They got separated from the tree of life. Death began to work its way out immediately. There was separation from God. There was all kinds of problems, but the poison actually worked its way from the inside out. It wasn't until years later, a son kills another son, that we begin to see death in the family. Eventually, it begins to have its toll on the body, and eventually they get old and die. But it doesn't happen that very day, and this is part of the deceitfulness of sin. The thing you have to realize is it sometimes takes a while for the poison to work itself out. And what you need to do, I, I'm telling you, and our culture sells this thing hard, is the wages of sin death? It won't, they won't say it that way, but they'll just show you how fun the sin is. So that the Christian begins to wonder, has God really said that the wages of sin are death? But what you have to do is you have to look 20, you have to look, we have to take the long game. What does this lifestyle look like 20, 30, 40 years ago? That guy right now, he's good looking. He's sleeping around with everybody. He's lots of fun to be around. It doesn't look like the wages of sin is, is death there. But you have to look 30, 40 years down the road. Where does this end up? When the good looks are gone. He's 50 or 60. And uh, maybe I should have gone older. <laughs> oh, boy, pushback on that one. 
90, 100 years down the road. So, <laughs> tomatoes are coming out. But you got to look way down the road. The good looks are gone. The marriages are broken. All alone. All alone, broken, emotionally, relationally, in every which way. You gotta take the long, you gotta take the long view of things. Because when God said the wages of sin is death, he will never, ever be wrong. The wages of sin is death. The problem is that sin does have a fleeting pleasure. Hebrews eleven, verses twenty-four to twenty-five. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. See, sin does have fleeting pleasure. If it didn't have any pleasure, we wouldn't want to do it. The fruit of that tree, when Satan came to Eve and said, has God really said, if the fruit would have been really ugly on the outside, it wouldn't have worked. She would have said, oh, like, clearly that's death. Like, clearly that's death. You can see it on the outside right away. It's gross. But on the outside, it looked like good fruit. So has God really said, now it brings temptation because this fruit looks okay. And it's the same with sin. There's no question sin has fleeting pleasure. If it didn't have any pleasure, it wouldn't suck anyone in. It does have fleeting pleasure. It is possible to be a happy, nice person and enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. For a season. It's possible to be a nice, happy person and be living a full-out sinful lifestyle. A year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, I don't know. It's possible to live it for a season. But eventually, what has already begun on the inside will work its way out. The wages of sin is death. But sin is deceitful that way. Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another. And this is, this is to us as Christians. We've got to encourage each other. Exhort one another every day. That's what I'm hopefully doing with you guys today. As long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the what? The deceitfulness of sin. The deceitfulness of sin. See, the problem is sin doesn't come in looking gross. It comes in with a facade. It works its way, it works through happy, nice, respectable people to convince you that it's not such a bad thing. But in the end, just like Adam and Eve found out, the word of God always holds true. In the end, the wages of sin are always death. And that's why if we love people, it's not enough to ignore sin. It's not enough to abhor, or I mean, it's not enough to ignore sin or not like sin. We have to abhor it. We have to hate it. Because it's deceitful and it drags people to their death. For Christians to stand by quietly while, while sin is deceiving an entire culture is like us knowingly taking the poison off the top shelf, removing the label, and just letting people drink from it. Is that genuine love? Absolutely not. This is why genuine love and abhorring evil must go hand in hand. A love that does not abhor evil is a pretend love. It talks about love. It pretends to be loving. It puts on a facade, but it doesn't really care about people because evil hurts people. Now, I do want you to notice that we abhor evil because we love people. It does not say up there, abhor evil people. Do you notice that? It does not say, abhor evil people. It says, abhor 
what is evil. We abhor what is evil, sin and evil, because we love people. That's really, 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 really important. See, our culture tells us that we can't hate an action without hating the person. The Bible tells us that not only can we hate an action without hating the person, we must. The Bible tells us not only can we hate an action without hating the person, we must. We must hate the action because we love the person. But it's really important that love has to come first. Notice this verse is not, notice the verse is not go, abhor what is evil, let love be genuine. If it's God's hate, if it's God's hate, it will come from love. Love is the start. We start, I love God and I love people. And because I love people, I hate that poison and how deceitful it is. There's always, there's always extremes within Christianity and some, some Christians start with the abhor evil. And, and lots of them are well-meaning and hey, probably most of us are there at some point in our life. I've been there lots of my life. You start with abhor evil, you might have some good intentions, but in the end, you're actually far from the heart of God. If you start with abhor evil and you don't start with love, you're going to end up far from the heart of God because it starts with love and because you love, you hate. So those Christians out there who are forever on Facebook ranting about sin or ranting about this or ranting about that, they've got the abhorring part down, but because it doesn't come out of love, totally miss the boat. Totally miss the boat. Doesn't say abhor evil. And then love people. It says love people. Abhor evil. And we don't love people by ranting and going off and being ignorant and stupid and angry what this means is if we love people and hate comes out of that, this means that in all of our dealings with people all the time, we are always respectful and kind and reasonable and generous and peace-loving in all of our dealings with people because we don't want to add to their hurt. They're already being hurt by sin. We don't want to add to their hurt by now piling on with anger. We only hate because we love. Love comes first. But of course, like I said before, there's two extremes. You've got some Christians who, who gravitate to abhor evil first, and they miss the heart of God. Even though some of them may be well-intentioned, they totally miss the heart of God. But then you have this whole other extreme today, which is this side of Christianity. And if you want to know which one is bigger in our culture today, I believe it's this one. You've, there's a river of Christians flooding into this one, which is just love with no standards. A love that is a hypocritical love. It is not a genuine love. It takes out the abhor evil. And it is willing, in order to be left alone and have a peaceful life, it is willing to let people die and drink the poison. Just so that we don't have to face any opposition or resistance. But what we need to have is we need to have a love that has a backbone of steel. We don't need to be ranters. There's no love there. But we also don't need to be these permissive, afraid of persecution people who pretend to love but don't love. What we need is a love that has a backbone of steel. And I want to just finish this one point and then we'll move on. But I want to finish this point up with a statement from Jesus. Jesus abhorred evil. It says this in Luke chapter 17. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come. But now read this next part. Temptations of sin are sure to come. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was there in the Garden of Eden. There will be temptation in the world. 
but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. It would be better. That's, by the way, for any of you who, who just, if that just, if that just offends you, what kind of a thing is that to say in church? I want you to remember, I didn't say it. That's Jesus. Amen. Jesus said, it would be better for him if a millstone, that's a big, heavy rock, really heavy, around the neck, <laughs> cast into the sea, than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Now I want to ask you something. How many of you want to be caught on judgment day in front of that Jesus? And he looks at you with burning eyes. And he says, it's because of you. You left, you took the label off, you ignored it, you turned the other way because you wanted to have it easy. And as a result, and he shows you the little ones who were led into death and destruction because you did not abhor evil. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck. So, are we going to run out of here screaming and yelling and ranting and throwing things? No. As I said before, what we need is a love that has backbone. What we need is gentleness that has steel, kindness that has courage, and wisdom that is shrewd and uncompromising. We're going to be kind. We're going to be gracious. We're going to be spirit-filled. We're going to be reasonable. But we're also not going to be afraid of persecution. We're going to stand for right. We're going to pray. And we're going to be salt on this earth. Because look what it says next. Hold fast to what is good. Hold fast to what is good. Whatever place you have in society, whatever place God has put you in economically or in your family, in your career, whatever place we have, in that place, God says you have to hold fast to what is good. He's given you, he's given you influence for a reason. Hold fast to what is good. Wave the flag of what is good. Love people, abhor evil, and hold fast to what is good. Even when good becomes unpopular, even when good becomes politically correct, incorrect, even when what is good becomes ridiculed and persecuted, we don't do it in loud and rude ways, but in gentle, quiet peacefulness. We do not back down. We hold fast to what is good. And if you hold fast to what is good, you will be persecuted. And so we jump ahead just a couple of verses here in Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. For those Christians, and there are many today, who at the first sign of trouble, they hit the compromise button, this verse actually doesn't apply to them. The only people who get persecuted are the ones who abhor evil and hold fast to what is good. You don't, you don't get persecuted for just going with the flow. If you go with the flow, there is no persecution. The only reason you get persecuted is because you aren't going with the flow. The only reason you get persecuted is because you hold fast to what is good and nobody wants you to, and you abhor evil when nobody wants you to. So now what does it say? When you're persecuted for standing for right, you should go on Facebook and rant. No. It says, bless. This is how we're going to be. We're going to hold fast to what is good. We're going to abhor what is evil. 
but we love people. So we're going to bless those who persecute you. We're going to bless them. We're going to be reasonable. We're going to listen to them. We're going to be kind to them. Hold fast to what is good. Bless those who persecute you. Let me go on to verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought. Oh, I love that. I love that. But give thought to do what is honorable to all. Give thought. We need to add thoughtful wisdom to the repertoire of the fruit of the Spirit and how we want to live in our lives. It is not an option for us to not abhor evil or to not hold fast to what is good, but we're going to do it in a thoughtful way. We are going to thoughtfully do what is honorable in the sight of all. We're going to thoughtfully hold fast to what is good in ways that are not ignorant and angry and ranting and disrespectful. We're going to thoughtfully hold fast to what is good. We're going to thoughtfully abhor evil. We're going to do it in kind and reasonable ways. We're not going to go off half-cocked, ranting and raving in the, against the culture. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Oh, I love that. I love that. And of course, this is implications, just to take a little pause, a little rabbit trail here. This is implications much bigger than just interacting with the culture. This has implications for all of, all of life. I think of money and business and when money, business, and Christians collide. And you wouldn't believe how many, and not because people are bad, not at all, but a lot of times it's just misunderstandings. But, you know, this person feels like, you know, this Christian feels like this Christian has hurt them or this Christian actually has hurt them or this Christian is out because of this Christian. You would not believe as pastors how many times we talk to people about tricky money situations involving Christians. Can I just say, could we prayerfully do this and agree to do this? Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Notice he does not say, give thought to do what is profitable in the sight of all. Difference there, right? It's okay to make profit. God bless you. Love it. And let's advance the kingdom also financially. But give thought. He doesn't say give thought to do what is profitable. He says give thought to do what is honorable. Sometimes what is honorable means you will make less profit. You may even lose money to do what is right. Paul actually talks about that in Corinthians. He says, would it not be better to be wronged than to take a brother to court? But give thought to do what is honorable. I, I thought of a thought exercise. Can you imagine if in your tricky money situation and you're upset and your feelings are hurt and, or whatever, or you've done the hurting or whatever, can you imagine if you had to come up here on this stage and in front of everybody, you had to spill the beans of the whole situation? Would you be embarrassed about your side of it? Or have you bent over backwards to do what is honorable in the sight of all? Like, could you say, I've done everything I can to lift up the name of Jesus in this tricky money situation? I haven't sought for profits. I haven't sought to be the winner. I have sought to do what is honorable by the other person and by the name of Jesus. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And then that brings up the next line, which I love. This is one of my favorite in this whole chapter. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Sometimes it's just not possible. Some people are just a bit nuts. <laughs> For whatever reason, they're hurting, whatever. 
Some people, you just can't live peaceably with them. So you don't have to carry that burden. Some of us Christians carry that burden. Oh, I feel so guilty. This, this, and you know what? Sometimes you, you, God's not calling you to do what you can't do. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And then as far as it depends on you, you bend over backwards and make sacrifices to live peaceably with all. But sometimes you just can't. But you do as far as you can. All you can control is you. And then he says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, you can just put that next one up there, Darlene. I'm skipping around a bit. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals in his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. This is the calling on us. Love people. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Now you say, how are we going to pull this off? How are we going to pull this off? Do you know how hard that is? To love people and abhor evil and hold fast to what is good and do that in an honorable, godly way. You know how hard that is? If you've been trying it at all, you'll know it's hard. How are we going to pull this off? There's another little gem here in chapter 12. If we go back to verse 12, there's three things. I only have time to look at the last two. Rejoice in hope. I don't have time to talk about the hope one. It's really important. This is how we're going to pull it off. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. I just feel like that second one there, first of all, be patient in tribulation. That's one some of us here today need to hear. Be patient in tribulation. You want to know what it looks like to be a godly person? Be patient in tribulation. Some of you are in things that have been going a year, two years, 10 years, 15 years, sometimes even more. And when you went into that situation and people are against you and you've been wronged and you've this and that and it's, you've been hurting. When you went into the situation, the way you got yourself through day by day is just by hoping the situation would end. And now it's been going so long that you're starting to lose hope that's ever going to end. It's in times like that that if you want to know what godliness looks like, there's a place where we have to go to God and we actually just have to let it go. We just actually have to leave it with him. We just have to let it go and say, Lord, even if this continues, I just, I'm going to let myself go into your hands. Even if this situation has never gone, I'm going to have to let this go and you're going to have to let it go day after day after day, but you're just going to have to let it go to him and you're going to have to be patient in tribulation. This is a sign of godliness and we're going to need it. If we're going to love people and abhor evil and hold fast to what is good, if we're going to do all three of those things in an honorable way, we're going to have to learn to be patient in tribulation. Patient in suffering, patient in being wronged. And that brings up the third one, constant in prayer. Constant in prayer. There's no way to love your enemies. There's no way to hold fast to what is good. There's no way to abhor what is evil and, and to love people in a godly way and be patient in tribulation without being constant in the presence. We've got to put our faces down before God. We've got to spend time with him and have him strengthen us by his Holy Spirit. Only he can do that. Well, here's my challenge for you for this week. I'm going to watch these baptisms, which I'm so looking forward to. My challenge to you this week is to prayerfully read these 13 verses, Romans 12, 9 to 21, every day this week. There's just too much there. Just one message and then to leave, it's too quick. 
This is what the Christian life looks like. You want, you, want to have in, you want to shrink into one passage what the Christian life looks like, what the transformed life looks like, what a renewed mind looks like. It's these 13 verses. I would challenge you to read these every day this week. Confess areas where you've been falling short and prayerfully, prayerfully meditate and say, Lord, show me where I'm falling short. Show me where, where I can grow. Help me to grow and be strong. Let's pray. Father, we want to love people. We want to abhor evil. We want to hold fast to what is good. Give us richly an outpouring of your spirit to empower us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.